0: Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. What's going on today? How are you? Oh, well, you know, on the What Difference does It Make podcast, I'm uh, having a good time, as we do. Every time.
1: I you that I answered your question with a question. You asked me how I was, and I said, how are you?
0: You immediately threw me off. I tell you, it's uh, after three years, you're still, uh, I'm still like, what? How is she going to respond to how are you?
1: Well, I figured you might have been sick of hearing great today i am and i am it's genuine every time i answer you is but you know i thought i would change it up by asking you the question
0: well you know we're we're practicing our banter that we learned from kat goldman who just happens to be in our virtual studios this week kat goldman has written the book off the charts it's uh autobiographical Memoir. <laughs> How would I say this? Go ahead, Holly. What is off the charts? What? What can you please describe it?
1: Karen Goldman. First, we should tell people that she is a a Canadian singer songwriter. So she's been writing and playing music for years. You know, for quite a few years, and she has written this. It is autobiographical, and it's about being in the music industry. But it is. I mean, she talks about her childhood and you know her experiences. So. It's an autobiography of sorts. Yeah.
0: This is Kat Goldman in the What Difference Does It Make Virtual Studios?
1: Hi, Kat. Hi.
0: That's Kat Goldman.
1: Hi. How are you? How are you?
0: Okay. So I guess we can get started by talking about your education. You actually got a bachelor's degree at a later stage in life. Isn't that correct?
2: I got a bachelor's degree at age 45 in English literature and American literature I had abandoned my BA long ago in my early twenties, and went into all kinds of crazy things like art therapy and shiatsu and yoga, teaching yoga. <laughs> and, uh, I finally returned to school when I was forty, and and finished it up. And I enjoyed it so much more later on in life, studying. I,
1: I think the case because you make a conscious decision, except you know, as as yeah. opposed to when you're young. Most of us just assume we're going to go on to university when we leave high school. Right. We don't know what we're doing, most, most of us. So you make a conscious decision at a later age to, to get an education, and that's admirable, and I think you enjoy it. Congratulations. Love-
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, I loved it very much. I was the keener in the class. I was always raising my hand. And- <laughs> You're that girl. I was that <laughs> annoying girl, Yeah. It was me and a bunch of 19 year olds I was
0: about to say that that's <laughs> I think that's the a lot of people probably feel like I don't want to be that person. I would imagine even though you're raising on your hand, you were almost invisible at times because you know the kids are more focused on themselves Absolutely. <laughs> and they're like on their,
2: they're on their iPhones all the time yeah
0: yeah and no one's looking at oh why is this woman here? What is she doing? <laughs>
1: here? They don't care when you're going back at, at that age, How did you decide? Did you just have a passion for literature or how did you decide what you wanted to, because the whole world, the world is an oyster.
2: It's, it's a really good question. I uh, moved to Boston when I was 39, um, sort of on a whim. And the only way that I could stay in the U.S. legally was to either marry an American or go back to school. So I hadn't met any American to marry at that point. And, uh, I enrolled, you know, at Boston University. They accepted me, which was incredible, and that's how it all started, yeah.
1: And you love Boston. Did you decide you wanted the city before the school? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. I had been there in my early 20s as well. Um, So I had, and my brother and his wife and his nephew were living there at the time, so I had a bit of family there as well. So it was a familiar place for me.
0: And was this after reading these great American novels, you're like, I can do this. This is simple. I'm going to write my own book, right?
2: Exactly. I've read Dostoevsky. Why can't I write a book? Hack.
0: What a hack. No Come problem. On.
2: Yeah.
0: And how was the process? I mean, when did you, what, uh, what age did you start writing? Uh, you know, I guess you, you started, was this after you graduated from Boston University?
2: Yeah, so when I graduated, I had to move back to Toronto in one month, they gave me.
0: Is that, wait a second. So, you, yeah. that's how it works? Like, okay, we'll let you in America and then you gra- graduate. Then
2: as soon as you graduate, you're out of here. You've got four weeks to get wow. your stuff and get the hell out of this country. So, I moved back to Toronto and I threw myself into the making of my fourth album, The Working Man's Blues, for about two years. And had a big concert, did the promo, you know, followed that through. And when that was done, I fell into such a depression, you can't even imagine. I thought, Mm. okay, now what? You know, what am I going to do now? And somebody um, from the music scene here asked if I would write a blog for his music website about my experiences as a songwriter. And I just went with it, and it, it sort of came together Quite quickly, um, I called it the disgruntled songwriter, <laughs> and every chapter was, you know, sort of uh, taking on subjects like, you know, what what not to do in a sound check, how to find your look, you know. Not to giggle when somebody asks you for your autograph, you know, things, little tips for songwriters, and along with some of my crazy experiences that I've had in music over the years. The
1: book is a compilation of the blog, because these are all chapters from your book.
2: Yeah. So, what happened was once I had about 25 blogs, I thought to myself, geez, I should turn this into a book. Yeah. And I submitted about, I think it was about 65 pages at the time. I submitted it to a publisher, and they were the first publisher I submitted the manuscript to, and they loved it. But he said, you're halfway done. Can you write half more in six months, and then we'll have a book? So I set to work and got it done, and uh, that's sort of how
0: it and a year and a half later you finished up those that six months of work is that that's usually how it works right
1: yes exactly so let me ask you a question so so when they needed more pages from you did you go about it because you already knew now that this is going to be a book did you go about it writing more blog posts or did you actually have the intent of filling in a book
2: by that point, I sort of already had a structure where I would pick a theme, you know, some topic like producers or managers or, you know, technical difficulties that you run into on stage. So it was it was challenging to finish it, but I had already uh, sort of developed a structure. So it was just a matter of coming up with the topics at that point.
0: Yeah, it worked well. I, I, they've kind of felt like three minute pop songs in that it's, it's brief. And you know, like, okay, here's the title of the song, and I'm gonna, you know, then fill in the blanks. Is that? Uh... I'm
2: so happy you said that. Yeah, <laughs> I think people are really enjoying the this book in the pandemic because our concentration is sort of challenged right now, and the chapters are very bite-sized. They're about maybe one to two pages each, mm-hmm. and you get sort of a and 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 I tried to make it as funny as possible. That was the key was to make it funny.
0: That's what drew me in immediately like I I was gonna because we do get a lot of books and I'm like all right I'm gonna try this and yes. it was these little snippets and like, oh, this is kind of funny I'm going to continue that. Oh, it's only two pages <laughs> I'm gonna keep going and you know, it's like an album's worth of material like oh right. look at that all of a sudden like oh This was great. It's it's really nice
1: appealing to those who are not songwriters I know it's you know your experience as a songwriter, but for us who We're not songwriters Right. Equally appealing, I would think. I mean, because it's entertaining and, and good information. I think, yeah, there's, there's something
2: inherently funny about following, you know, a dream, whatever dream that is, or trying to climb a mountain. And no matter how hard you try, you're always tumbling back down. And you know, finding yourself sort of like as the fool—I think there's something universal about that, for sure. That that even non-songwriters are relating to when they're reading this.
1: I have to agree.
0: It, it it is almost a traditional biography in that you know it starts like your childhood and the the heartache and the pain and just everything that you you go through. It seems like based on what we've learned in your little bits that you always wa- loved singing. And performing,
2: yeah. Well, music was came very naturally to me. It was just a part of my family from the time I was born. Uh, my grandfather played the violin. His brother played the violin. My mother played the piano. There were always cousins on guitars and lots of jam sessions in the living room. So I, I really grew up around music. I remember, you know, in back in the 70s when I was a child, I listened to, you know, Simon and Garfunkel and um, Carol King, Gordon Lightfoot, you know, a lot of folk music.
0: Gordon Lightfoot is kind of mandatory, isn't it, if you're growing right. up in Canada?
2: Absolutely, right.
0: <laughs> and Joni, here's I would imagine Joni. Joni and-
2: yeah, Joni I came to sort of discover when I was 19, Um, She kind of saved my life, actually, when I was 19. Another epic depression in my life, and I just sat on a sofa the whole year. I dropped out of university, and I just listened to Joni Mitchell records the entire year.
0: Was it any specific album?
2: Ladies of the Canyon, um, Court and Spark, Blue. She taught me a lot about how to sing, how to be a singer, for sure, yeah. Yeah.
0: What about that guitar tuning? That must have drove you nuts.
2: Oh, <laughs> I think I knew one open guitar tuning at one point, but I usually stay in the regular tuning.
0: <laughs> was it the guitar immediately, or if you're listening to Carol King, did you go to piano? What uh, was yeah, it?
2: I, uh, my mother got me to take piano lessons when I was a kid, but I hated practicing so much that I used to actually bite the piano cover, the wood. The, the cover that comes down on the keys so you can actually see my teeth marks in her piano <laughs> and I think after a while my mom said you know what forget it if she does if she's not enjoying this you know and I it's one of my greatest regrets I wish I had followed it through because I I think I would would have had more of a palette to choose from in my writing I I tend to go I use both for for songwriting piano and guitar but then later I I uh, went to the guitar at age 19 and started to learn that instrument
0: I was gonna say it's easier to busk in with a guitar than a piano
2: true yes that's true you can travel with a guitar very true (laughs) There's there's a chapter on busking as well in the book
0: would you still uh recommend busking for uh burgeoning rock stars
2: I think it's, um, it's a good thing to do to, if you're sort of learning how to become a songwriter. It's sort of a good training. But um, in the long run, you know, you, you don't want to be sort of um, competing with cars and buses and crazy people coming over to take your money and freezing cold weather. And it's, you know, it's hard. It's, busking is really hard yeah. for- you know, yeah. especially if you don't have a sound system, because it's really, it really challenges your vocals, which might be a good thing in the long run, actually. It, it could strengthen
1: your voice.
0: Toughens you up mentally, I would imagine, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Is it How long would you say you did it for, the, the period of time that you did it? Was it just for fun? It's obviously a conscious decision, because I think you said you have to apply for a license and you're competing against other people.
2: Yeah, in Toronto, you actually have to audition and get a a, a license to busk, which I think is crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. anybody should be able to pull out an instrument and play, and having uh, have creativity be encouraged mm-hmm. in public spaces. I've never understood that, but when I lived in Boston in the early nineties, busking was in Harvard Square was 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 a, a sign of respect. You know, oh, people. Would uh, compete for a place in Harvard Square to busk. And sometimes, you know, you'd see buskers 10 feet apart playing on the sidewalk and some really, really talented people as well. So, I mean, luckily I never had to resort to busking for money, but, um, you know, it's fun. It it was fun.
0: What is harder, busking or being an opening act? Hmm. Especially sure. when they're, they're waiting for Dar Williams to come on or, or whoever.
2: Right. Well, as I said in my book, I sort of almost made a career off of being the opening act. Mm-hmm. Um, I opened for a lot of people. And what it does is it really challenges you to step up your game. Uh, because you know that the audience of the person you're playing opening for is, are expecting high quality stuff. So when I knew that I was opening for a high profile act, I would, you know, rehearse for weeks in advance. Mm. Uh, And uh, the pressure was really on to impress them, to try to win them over, because that's a built in audience right there. Yeah, it it was very challenging, challenging in a different way. Busking is a little more casual. You can make mistakes, I guess, when you're
1: busking. You spoke pretty positively about being an opening act in the book.
2: Yeah, I I had some great experiences. Um, I once opened for Al Stewart at the bottom line. That was a great honor. And it was right before the bottom line closed for good. Um, An amazing place to play. And uh, so that was very exciting. And one of his audience members in the front row handed me a note at the end of my set That said, Year of the Cat, K A T, which
1: was a play (laughs) on his hit
2: Year of the Cats, which you know told me I was I was accepted, which was you know really nice. And and uh, opening for Dar Williams is always a great experience. Her fans are just so lovely, and she's so lovely. And actually, Dar Williams was one of my original songwriting heroes. So my music is not so far off from hers. So yeah, that's that's always been a great experience.
0: Are, are you still songwriting? Are you still keeping that muscle going? I, I also finished uh, Jeff Tweedy's book, Write One Song, I think it's called. But he kind of touches on, like, just do it.
2: Songwriting, for me... Although a few of my songs came out just really quickly and and it was like they were already done. You know, it was one of those magical experiences. But Mm. for the most part, I have found songwriting to be excruciating. I find it very difficult and I really push myself and I have to write tons and tons of bad songs to get to a good one, which is why, you know, it's sometimes seven years between albums for me because it takes so long for me to get enough material for an album. These days, the only song I've written was a song called the book release song, which was a song I wrote (laughs) to promote my book. But aside from that, I've been more focused on writing books than writing songs. Mm. I find it hard to do both at the same time. But I think I will write more songs in the future. It's just it's just hasn't come yet for me
0: are they more about your life or are you touching on original stories now or what, what's, what interests you?
2: For, for the book? Yeah. Well
0: well, you say you're writing now.
2: The next book. Oh, well the next book, um, you you know, some people have been, uh, have been requesting a sequel to this one Mm -hmm. to to off the charts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you. Um, so, uh, that's sort of under consideration. I started writing a second book, and it was kind of like about my sex life. Because, do you think that'll sell? <laughs>
0: I hear sex sells. That's just uh, that's, there's something I've heard off and on.
2: But don't tell my parents that they'll be very upset. They've been asking, "What's your new book about?"
0: <laughs>
1: Not telling. When you write it in the same, for, the same the same the same format, the same small bite. Yeah, you'll have a You'll yeah. people will line up for it. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I
0: hope so. Is this So we'll hear more about this rock star person that uh, shall yeah. forever remain nameless that uh, apparently okay. you, you're discouraging dating rock stars. And, wh- and why is this?
2: My, my advice on dating rock stars is don't do it. <laughs> they're so selfish. You know, you wear like a cool vintage dress in front of them and they're all into you and stuff. But then they see a hotter woman walk into the room and suddenly their attention is gone from you. You know, you can never really hang on to a guy like that. I don't think
1: rock star, as opposed to a musician, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you know,
2: they're all the same. That's kind of crass, but you know, it's funny. I've never really dated. I've dated a few musicians, but I've never had a relationship with a musician and everybody's always surprised by that because they, I guess they figure you're a songwriter, wouldn't you just go out with other musicians? But I don't know, I, I, I remember asking this musician, uh, a songwriter I know in Toronto out one time. I was always bold in asking guys out, so I asked him out. I said, would you like to go to dinner with me sometime? He was a cool guy, guitar player, nice guy. And he rejected me and then about two months later, We were playing a gig together in Toronto one night. And in the audience was his new girlfriend who was sitting there knitting. She was knitting a sweater. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, this is who you chose over me? Some wafy girl that's knitting a sweater. And she wasn't even paying attention
1: to his show, you know. I thought, what is wrong with these guys? Gee." there's no accounting for it for this sometimes i think yeah what
3: about me aren't i cool (laughs)
1: all
0: right learning a lot about kat goldman she is the author of the book off the charts we're going to be right back
1: Welcome back to the "What Difference Does It Make" podcast, and our guest, Kat Goldman.
0: Well, apparently you are cool. You were wooed by a, a, a high-profile manager. You talked about that in the book. What is that like when you know, like, okay, suddenly someone's really into what I'm doing and wants to wants to help me get to the next level?
2: Yeah, good question. That was mind blowing. I somehow got connected to Ron Fierstein. Who was manager to Sean Colvin and and uh, Suzanne Vega, Dar Williams, I think Mary Chapin Carpenter? He managed yeah. at one point. He was in New York City, and I was living in Toronto at the time. And he got a hold of my first album, The Great Disappearing Act, and said he loved it and that he wanted to come check out one of my shows. And where would I be playing in the next month? <laughs> oh my God! So I told him, you know, the dates that I had lined up. And I thought, I figured he'd come to Toronto, you know, to come see me. Wouldn't you know, I did a show in Buffalo one night (laughs) and he showed up. He flew from New York City (laughs) to Buffalo to catch my show that night, which was just, you know, it was was just over the top. And and he was the nicest guy. And he said, you know, we we really love your album and we'd love you to sign a three-year contract with us and what that means is, we'll have you come to, to New York to do some showcases in front of labels and da, da 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 da. And that's exactly what they did. And I started to frequent New York and I did some really fun shows in Manhattan and Brooklyn. It was a really fun time in my life. A little nerve wracking, you know, when you know that somebody from Vanguard or Columbia Records right. is sitting in your audience. But, uh, they never were interested in signing me. And I, I always think it's because I never wore the right outfit. But I think the truth is that, you know, partly they they had just stopped signing artists at that point. Mm-hmm. The music industry was changing so much.
0: What year was this around? This
2: in 2001. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's and a weird that, time. It was a weird time
0: in the music. It was. That was teen pop. Was yeah, like Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears type thing,
1: and like but also different format. You know, different. Yeah, how are we gonna? You know, distribution and yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think in all fairness, I
2: was not ready yet as a performer. I think I had a long way to go to become stronger and more confident. I never had the confidence that I saw other like I remember I saw uh, is it Regina or Regina Specter
0: Regina Specter
2: yeah, she's, she's amazing and and I saw we we both did a show at Club scene many years ago and I was watching her walk on stage and watch she had the greatest outfit on <laughs> she had this cool blazer I thought she's got the look she's got the talent and she had the confidence you know she she just exuded confidence i never felt that way i was always very shy and found it hard to believe in myself so that's that's been a process i'd say now it would be much different i feel a lot more confident when i go on stage now
0: that was one of your chapters, is is banter. I really appreciate a uh, an artist who is comfortable enough to kind of just uh, so how you doing? What's going on? T- kind of taking the temperature of the audience or whatever's on their mind. Learn a little bit more about their personality. You know, more of a connection. That's that's always helpful. And what and tuning at the same time. I never understood how someone can tune and talk about and nothingness talk at
2: the same time. I yeah. know such a talent. Paul Simon's very good at that.
0: Yeah, you should be yeah, more like Paul Simon.
2: Banter is important, very important as a way to connect with your audience. My advice is not to go on too long, though, because, you know, they'll start to fall asleep or boo, you know, boo you off the stage. But I used to write little notes to myself on the guitar about what I would talk about in between songs, (laughs) you know, as a way to transition into a song. So, yeah, so I wrote a chapter on how long should your banter be. Too long is not good. But, you know, it is, it is nice to, you know, tell a few jokes or introduce a song. Let the audience get to know your personality a little better.
1: You hear about, you know, artists who are shy, particularly shy, that don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable doing it. And I appreciate that also because if it doesn't come across as genuine, you want to know them. You know, you want to know, you want to feel the personality, but you can tell if it's not, you know, if it's not. And that's part of the whole experience, I think.
2: Yeah, that's true. I, I think I think that's true. Your fans want to know who you really are.
0: I think actually when people when artists make mistakes on stage and just play it off, I, I think that makes it even more endearing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Just yeah. yeah. Like, oh, they're human.
2: Yeah, it's human. And if if you make a mistake, which I also talk about in the book, you know, you you have a lot of choices. You could say, you know, you could stop and go, you know what, forget this. Do you want to sing Kumbaya? (laughs) Or you could, you know, sort of get paralyzed by it. But the best thing to do is to just keep going and, you know, as if it didn't happen. It's sort of interesting when people make a mistake, isn't it? Like we sort of become fascinated in that moment as to how you recover from that. And, you know, yeah, it shows that you're, that you're human.
1: I think the artist seems to take it harder than the, than the audience. The audience goes, you know, I mean, most of the time we don't even notice, but also who cares? Yeah. It's really who cares.
0: Right. Yeah, It's It's a show. It's a show. You keep, you, you go, you roll with it.
1: You roll with it. You roll
2: with it. That's right. That's right. You roll with it.
1: Along the same lines with banter, you did a chapter on your look. Right. Which I still haven't found.
2: (laughs) I'm still looking for it. If you have any suggestions, let me know. I like Uh, some of the things you tried. I like the share wig and the share wig. I tried the that was perplexing. Everyone was like, What what does it mean? You know? Mm -hmm. I had no idea what it meant. I just thought, cool, you know, it could be a look, but there was really no direct connection to anything.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> with the share wig, although that although I've always wished I could have hair like that, you know, big curly hair. Mm. Yeah. You know, when you're shopping yourself to well, back in the day to record labels and stuff like that, I think there was this feeling, this pressure that you had to have your look figured out. And what was that going to be? And And I remember I went to one show in this big white lace tutu. No idea why, you know, It's other than it was visually kind of interesting, the white and the puffiness. And, you know, I got got a lot of heck from my bandmate for that one. He was like, my friends thought you looked ridiculous. You know, what were you wearing that tutu for? And, you know, he wasn't very nice about it. Thank God I fired him. (laughs) But I think the thing about being a musician is that you have to just be yourself. And musicians right. are really interesting people. They're they're quirky. They're different. They're, you know, they're their own people. And so you have to dress the way it makes you feel mm-hmm. the most like who you are and what you want to express and, uh, and let your freak flag fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be my advice.
1: It's like being human, just going out you know when you're going out on the town you want to feel comfortable in what you're wearing so you wear whatever makes you feel most comfortable absolutely at the same
2: time i think it it has to be formal like you want to respect your audience you want to honor them by maybe standing out a little from what they would be wearing and it's also it's yeah. fun being a performer because well, yeah. you really can dress up you know you're allowed you're the stars so you can really you know rock it any way you
1: want yeah. And people are looking to you maybe to influence their style.
0: Trying to figure out what it is that... uh what your look is there's a, a couple songs that uh, got picked up the ducks another uh, band from canada as i looked on wikipedia it just the description is like this is an album of irish folk favorites and then there's cat goldman as a songwriter on the album like what? oh okay right.
2: i mean it was just wild <laughs> the whole thing one of the first songs i put on my very first recording which was on a cassette tape was annabelle a song I wrote very early on in my career about my grandmother who had passed away. It was a folk ballad. A guy who bought that cassette tape at one of my shows, then gave the song or showed or played it for uh, james keelahan, who's who's uh, recognized as a great folk songwriter in Canada. James then passed on the song to the Ducks, who I guess at the time had just formed as a band out of mm-hmm. Winnipeg. And I received an email from Leonard Padalic from the Ducks, the the lead of the Ducks, saying, just to let you know, we've just covered your song, Annabelle, on our new album. And (laughs) congratulations or whatever. And I thought, wow, great. You know, somebody appreciates the song. And wouldn't you know, they started touring everywhere, all around the world, and people... We're hearing Annabelle, you know, from Europe to Australia to the, you know, southern United States, I mean, all over the place. And I was able to gain sort of a little bit of fame from this one song, you know, that they covered. A folk song, no less.
3: Annabelle, Annabelle, where did you go? I looked high and I looked low. I look low and I look tight Tell me where does the spirit go when you die Oh, where does the spirit go when you die I have packed your satin gloves and lace All the pictures of your pretty face And I kept the of you on skates and a picture from your wedding day
2: so that was pretty cool and if, if you it, it then later aired on um, Hell on Wheels which is a television series uh, I believe it was the Ducks version of the song but you can also find my version of it on YouTube it's had like something like 85,000 views the song which is incredible.
0: Well, you kind of you touched on promoting your CD, but now we're we're in the streaming uh, era. Is your music available on, on Spotify and Apple Music? And
2: it is. It's available on iTunes and Spotify and all those places. Um, my first. Well, I have four albums altogether. The first one from 2002 up to 2017.
1: I saw them all on Spotify this morning. I was listening.
2: Really, really enjoyed it. I, I even discovered the Tufts a cappella band from Tufts
0: University. Oh wow! Did
2: a, did a cover of Annabelle. I have no idea how they got hold of the song.
0: Well, that's. I mean, that's the same way you turned to Joni Mitchell. The they somehow came across this song. Maybe it was from the Ducks, or who knows. But it reaches them, and you know, it touched them. And now they're now they're covering it, much like I'm sure you were covering Joni Mitchell songs.
2: Yes, exactly. That's true. Yeah, no, yeah. it's really exciting. It really is my hit song.
0: <laughs> and Dar covered a, a song of yours too, right? Did she? Yeah,
2: that that was extraordinary. Right. She did- cover of my song weight of the world which is can be found on my second album sing your song unbelievable i I think dar mentioned that she wanted to cover it about four or five years before she actually did and while i was doing my degree in boston she got in touch and said we're doing it in fact she actually (laughs) called me that morning and said can you teach me the chords because we're going into the, the studio today and i don't know how to play it And I think what happened was uh, one of her uh, bandmates ended up playing the guitar for it. But, yeah, she put it on her album Emerald. Yeah. And that that was truly extraordinary because she is so prolific that, I mean, I figure she doesn't have to cover other people's songs, you know. So that was a real, real
3: honor. You want to take it off. It's the weight of the world. You want to sit it free, just for today. Can't always be the one to heal everything. And the weight of the world was never yours to keep.
1: It must be an honor. I can't imagine somebody <sighs> feeling, you know, that connected to something that I might put out yeah it was very exciting for me very exciting
0: that's one has she read your book yet do you know
1: i should
2: send her a copy (laughs) yeah yeah i figure she must be so busy i don't know but i should get in touch
0: yes of course come on it's promote 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 i read somewhere it's always about promoting
2: (laughs) you're right i'm gonna okay good thank you (laughs) will you be my manager (laughs)
1: <laughs> David, you are you are really good about this. I'm more on the cat side. I find it harder to, you know, it comes natural, great. Otherwise, just, you know, to get in your face is hard.
0: Give a shout out to, who did those drawings in your book? Because they're wonderful.
1: Nina Berkson. She is
2: wonderful. She lives in Montreal. She's also Canadian. And apparently, her illustrations have been, I think, on several, if not about four, of the New York Magazine covers. You might recognize her work from the New York Magazine.
1: Her style looks, looks yeah. familiar to
2: me, yeah. Uh, so so that was really fun, getting her to illustrate the book. And I think she did a great job. We met actually over the phone recently and it was really nice to connect with her. She, in fact, might I'm hoping might illustrate my next book, which would be fun.
0: Yeah, it really adds to the personality of the book and, you know. Yeah. It's really nice.
2: Wait till wait till she finds out she's going to illustrate the sex picture.
0: Right. Yeah. What is life on the road for uh, for a singer songwriter? I, I would think it's lonely, yeah. but then there but then apparently there's uh, those rock and roll moments.
2: It's true. It's really a combination of both. You know, you can have amazing fun times and meet great people, or you could be stuck in minus thirty degree winter in the prairies in you know near Manitoba and and like knocking on a farmhouse door for directions you know it's both and uh, I know some people who just drive back and forth across the country and and they just they just do it I find it uh, very hard at this point for me to tour Mm -hmm. that way but also my tour route for many years was sort of Toronto Boston New York so it wasn't too bad, Yeah. but I, I, I know songwriters who will drive across Canada and back, you know, which is real dedication.
1: And my hat goes off to them. <laughs> so the West coast, you didn't do the West coast much.
2: I've never played Los Angeles. I've never played in BC. Hmm. Um, but maybe I will one day. We'll see.
0: You got to come out here. I mean, it's yeah. opening up. We got to, yeah, can play the hotel cafe or something.
2: I'd love that.
0: <laughs> you mentioned your spine. Is that from the accident that you had? Is that is that still an issue?
2: I have a, a, a terrible back from carrying canoes when I was sixteen, seventeen years old.
0: You are so Canadian. Those
2: canadians are <laughs> always carrying canoes, heavy eighty-pound canoes—and I slipped a couple discs, and ever since then, I've had a crappy back. And then I was crushed in a bagel store. So. <laughs> Fine, don't worry. I'm doing okay. Yeah. So bad, but I'm I thank God for Advil for arthritis.
1: It's my new love. <laughs> Advil for arthritis.
0: Oh, you rock stars and your drugs, I tell you. No,
1: I know. I know. Have you Have re- you fully recuperated from I mean, I know it's been uh, 10 15 years. Yeah, it's been like about seven, sixteen, seventeen 16
2: 17 years mm-hmm. my accident, which I also talk about in the book. You know, I made a uh, quite a great recovery. Um, I'm having some issues now with that leg. I might uh, be having some surgery again Mm -hmm. uh, soon for it, but um, hopefully nothing too bad.
1: Can't be worse than what you've experienced.
2: Yeah, it was pretty shocking. Uh, I was standing inside a, a bagel bakery and I heard a loud explosion. And before I could even, you know, turn my head around to see what was going on, I was being crushed by a car that went through the, the window. And um, my knee was broken and some soft tissue and in- injuries elsewhere. Um, but they rushed me to the hospital. It was like something from a movie. I mean, it was, it was just unbelievable.
1: You managed to keep your sense of humor about it. A couple of funny things about remembering the bagels that you were picking up at the time. and That's right. So- I actually, as I was waiting for the ambulance to come
2: and as I was being crushed, I think the cashier screamed out, just wait, you know, the ambulance is on its way or, or the ambulance is coming, don't move. And then I yelled out to her, can you please make me a bagel with cream cheese <sighs> to go? Because I haven't eaten anything all day and I'm, you know, going to be waiting at the hospital. And I don't know what I was thinking. I Maybe it's because I'm Jewish. My instinct was to
1: ask for a bagel and cream cheese. Of course. Food to go in case I get hungry later. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> was it right. difficult to dredge up those memories to, to write it again? I mean, you have to... No have to go through it again and again and again to, you know.
2: Such a good question. The publisher wanted to hear more of my story mixed in with the blog. So I figured I have to tell the story about the bagel accident. Mm -hmm. And it was very challenging to write it. I started it many times. I think I wanted to avoid depressing people. I didn't want it to be too depressing, but I also wanted to, You know to talk about what really happened so i tried to throw in the jokes you know but also you know describe what 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 really took place which is sort of hard to believe i mean it was like one in a million you know that you'd be crushed inside of a bagel store by a car you know buying bagels for your band because i was on my way to a recording session and they were all waiting for me Mm. I remember think when I when they took me onto the stretcher, I remember thinking we've got to tell the band what's going on because they're waiting for mm-hmm. me. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna be mad at me because I'm late.
3: That's
0: Jewish guilt right there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. No, the Jewish guilt comes out when you when you said you had to you still had to pay them for the session afterward That's and right. you went to go see oh. them.
2: That's <laughs> right. I still had to pay them for the session, goddammit. Those musicians. Yeah. They got to get paid even though you got crushed by a a car and a bagel store buying bagels for them. Mm. They still want to get paid. Yeah.
1: Did any of them continue to play with you after later, after uh, recovering? And
2: I was working with a producer at the time who was um, encouraging me to get back to the recording after the surge, my surgery and, and during my recovery. But uh, we sort of, ended up not working with each. It just wasn't the right connection between him and myself. And uh, I think it also just wasn't the right time to make that album. And then eventually it yeah. became my second album, Sing Your Song, which was uh, came about uh, about two years after the accident.
1: Can I ask you a a personal question, which is kind of relevant? And please, if you don't want to talk about it, I understand. But you mentioned, you made mention of falling into a depression and coming out of it a a couple of times. How did you come out of it? Um,
2: I think it's good we're all talking about depression now. I think depression is something I've suffered from since I was 17 very severely acute depressions. Mm-hmm. And at the time I didn't even know what was happening to me. I didn't even know it had a word. So I suffered very much in private. You know, I think a lot of artists suffer from mental illness and depression and songwriters mm-hmm. and musicians. The more I talk to people, the more I realize I'm not alone. I got lucky for many years through through my 20s and 30s Uh, They tried me on many different kinds of medications that were just awful, had awful side effects, and I wasn't being successfully treated. But when I moved to Boston to do my degree at age 40, I finally worked with a doctor in Boston who got me on a terrific cocktail of uh, antidepressive meds, which I'm still on today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the argument for not going um, off it, as people yeah, are people yeah. often do. Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I think it's so dangerous to if if you're someone who needs to be on these meds, mm. it's dangerous to think that you don't need them. Yeah. You know, because I've made that mistake when I, you know, crashed after the Working Man's Blues album. I thought to myself, well, well I don't need these anymore, really." Mm. I mean, I so I went off of all my medication big mistake, you know, ended up in the emergency for six hours, you know, with suicidal thoughts and the whole thing. I think you have to be a really strong person if you have mental health issues. Mm-hmm. You, you just have to be so strong. Um, I think songwriting has been a kind of therapy for me mm-hmm. over the years. And, you no, know, I thank my medication every day. <laughs> I kiss the bottle. I Thank whoever created these pills mm-hmm. because I can actually function like a human mm-hmm. now, you know. So, and I don't think it's true that if you are treated for depression, that suddenly your creativity stops. I just don't think that's true. I've been creative in depressions and on medication as well. In fact, I think I've done some of my best work on my medication.
1: Hmm. So, it be the poster child. Oh, but thank you for bringing it, because I we know yeah. way too many people go- going through you know something now, but also you know over the course of their lifetime. So yes, yeah.
3: yeah.
1: Well, I'm happy to talk to them.
2: You know, mm-hmm. for anyone who struggles—it's a terrible thing to struggle with. Sorry, I took it no, a, a little. No, that's time. quite all right, because I mean <laughs> it's I it's obvious. Hard to lighten the mood a
0: little. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was just about to say you have done your best, uh, some of your best work, because we just read off the charts, and it's a wonderful read. It's uh, it was it was a quick read, Kat. maybe a little too quick. Kat, you got to. We need an extended remix, possibly. For, apparently, well, yeah.
3: Well, I yes, read
1: it again. Re- I read it twice. You did. Oh, <laughs> yes, did. I'll, I'll I'll pay you your fifty dollars later. Stay
2: tuned for the sequel. That's all I can say. It's called Off the Charts: What I Learned from My Almost Fabulous Life in Music. And you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your bookstore will have it. All right. Anywhere yep. you buy books, it can. Anywhere different. you buy books, yeah.
3: Today is the release of my new book about dating rock stars and how to find your look, about the life of a songwriter and. How to write a song, what to do if your microphone's not on, Try not to make your band to go too long. You can get it on Amazon. Today's my book release.
0: And your website, where is that? Where do we find my you?
3: My website is
2: catgoldman.ca, I believe.
0: Canadian. I,
2: should, I really should check on that, shouldn't
0: I? <laughs> yeah, you should we'll not end that we'll with a question mark. Room. I think come on, this is the basic stuff.
2: Yeah, come on.
0: <laughs> come on. You need your pattern. What's the banter? You know what? To yeah, I know.
2: I'm not. I know.
0: Thank you, Thank Kat. You so this was great.
2: It was really nice to talk to you. Thank so you. Nice to, talk to You too. Thank you guys for having me
0: again off the charts by Kat Goldman. By the way, we're I love the title because it's just it's mm-hmm. Has a lot of different meanings. Did yeah. did you have the title first, or was it uh, that come afterwards?
2: Well, the the blogs were called the disgruntled songwriter. I wanted the book to be called the disgruntled songwriter, but I think it wasn't upbeat enough yeah. or something. So the publisher picked the title, which is cool with me. I liked it.
0: All right. Well, then there you go. Shout out to the publisher. Good job with the yeah, with the title. Sure. I like it. I liked Absolutely. it a lot. Thank you. All right. Well thank you, Kat. Thank you. This was wonderful.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. All right.
0: Take care. Cheers. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Kat. Okay, so that was great learning a little bit about a singer songwriter from Canada named Kat Goldman.
1: She is fantastic. I can't tell you how much I loved her book. And I think that this book is great, even for people. It's it's about the music industry and her experiences in the music industry as a singer-songwriter. But she tells such great stories and her experiences are relevant outside the music industry, too, I think. And she's funny and charming and I really would recommend this book and it's an easy quick read. Yeah,
0: I dug into her catalog after reading the book because I never heard of any of these songs. She is very talented. It was uh, really nice to kind of discover this me a new singer songwriter
1: and i think she has a career as an author too
0: so uh thank you for tuning in where can they follow us holly those who are fans of the what difference does It make podcast which we are a part of
1: the pantheon podcast family
0: but in case they want to focus in on what difference does it make where might they uh, one finds us
1: find us on facebook at wddim podcast on instagram and twitter at wddim podcast check out our youtube channel please check out our youtube channel i am furiously putting up bits and pieces of our podcast so check us out there you can find some things you might not hear in the podcast and go to our website at wddimpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter we will only harass you with a newsletter once a month
0: thank you so much for tuning in this week we will be back next week as we are every friday so until then this is dave
1: this is holly check you later over and out